Hello there, this is Josh. And this is Max. And we're here to bridge the gap in our uh, ongoing podcast entitled Bridging the Gap. And it's where we um, review albums of each other's choosing. And I, I should probably uh, hand it over to Max here because this was his. This album was his choice this week. Uh, what, can you talk about why you chose this album? So this album for this week is Metallica's Ride the Lightning. And it is their second album after Kill 'Em All. And it really firmly established them as a titan in the metal genre for years to come. Um, I picked this album because last, last week we did Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz. And that album really made me see the beauty in looking at closer to the beginning of a band's career. The reason why I didn't do Kill 'Em All, though, was because to me it almost felt like doing... Like if we wanted to do Nirvana from the beginning and we did Bleach instead of Nevermind. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I see a, a definite uh, logic there. And, you know, um, I know that this is definitely like a, a juggernaut as far as the Metallica albums go. You can't really go wrong with the first five albums, but this one in particular, you know, there are eight tracks on here. Um, I've seen, I've seen five of them live. I've seen four of them at almost every show and three of them at every show. So um, definitely, and I, I probably, I'm trying to think if I can put in perspective um, how many times I've seen Metallica has, pro it's got it's got to be at least 10 times. So um, in fact, I have to admit that I kind of put them in, the, I don't know how much I alluded to this with the Aussie stuff, but I kind of put them in the category of uh, bands that I, I actually don't need to see again. Um, in this case, in, um, interestingly enough, it's for, for Ozzy, my reason for not wanting to see them had to do with, or see him anymore, had to do with the fact that I don't want to tarnish his legacy or wreck it by the way that he has um, become a subpar performer. And for Metallica, it's actually the exact opposite, that um, I don't need to see a note-for-note -note rendition of one or Master of Puppets or, you know or ride the lightning again probably um ever again in my life um i think that they're phenomenal and they will give you exactly exactly what you want exactly what you hope for but um i and i am still very intrigued by new music that they turn out and i'm still very much moved by their old music so I, i'm really glad i'm really glad that you chose this album um this was when i first saw metallica this was actually the only album of theirs that i did not own and was not familiar with so um so it it is the to me it's the newest of the old albums and um however um like i said it's 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 darn near classic i'm, I'm excited to get into the the track by track listing do you have any uh historical background anything that you have to share about it uh, I've just got some light, fun facts. A lot of the fun facts from today actually were pulled from a Rolling Stone article uh, that celebrated the 30-year anniversary in February of 2014 of this album. And um, the, the craziest fact that I found was that this is the last um, album where Dave Mustaine had any credit of any sort along with Metallica. Oh, did he get writing credit for what? Which for uh, Ride the Lightning and Call of Cthulhu? Oh, okay. And um, he he never performed on a Metallica album, but he had writing credit also on Kill 'Em All. You know, that's funny. I did not know that, but um, I was also look. I was looking at the music um, the other night. And I didn't, I didn't look at, you know, who got writing credit, but I did think on the Ride the Lightning, they, there's a thing that they do with power chords 
that um, I remember reading Dave Mustaine talking about doing, and it has to do with, for those of you guys who are in the know at all, uh, a power chord is a root fifth chord that involves your um, fingers um, two frets away from each other and then two strings away from each other. And one of his tricks was that he would use his, uh, he would alternate between uses his pointer pointer finger and his ring finger for the first power chord and then his middle finger and pinky finger for the other one so you could it could facilitate faster changes and i i i kid you not that i did notice that oh they're doing the dave mustaine thing there so i don't know if that's what it is that uh he got credit for or not but it, it was definitely on ride the lightning but if truth be told odds are good that they do the same thing on a couple of the other songs but it is well yeah the, and, and in fact um he the part of the reason why he he gets his credit is for call of cthulhu he wrote a massive amount. It turns out he wrote a massive amount of primarily the solos. He wrote over fifty percent of the song. Okay, yeah, well, being, that, and it being the one instrumental it would make sense that someone of, of his caliber would put so much in, into it. Yeah, it definitely feels like a piece altogether. I would be curious. I would be curious to go the the Megadeth track with you at some point. Not necessarily, you know, immediately, but at some point, I imagine that that will probably come up. Um, just because I I have a it, it's a conflictual or a conflicted uh, opinion of... Um, like Crew. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm far less conflict, conflicted. There are, there, but I did, I you know, not to go too far down the, the Motley Crew rabbit hole, but um, I did, I was in my, my friend's uh, classroom the other day and school was starting and he turned on music and I, I, I think he was toying with me, but it was Kickstart My Heart by Motley Crew, and I have to admit that that's, that's a cool song. So, so sorry, Motley Crew fans. Um, they're not a very good band, but luckily, luckily we're not here to talk about a not very good band. We're here to talk about a very a great band. And um, I'll just say overall, well, you know, one of the things that I wanted to address also was um, like my preconceived notions, because there was a, there, there was a time pre uh, when I was a, a fan of Metallica. And I remember when I was in um, eighth grade, I was over at a friend's house and his brother was, um kind of sadistic and he was he was mean to him he picked on him all these sorts of things and we were you know trying to figure out why it was that he was so mean and i kid you not he we had he had we were looking at like his music or whatever and he had a cassette tape and it was of ride the lightning and um i remember us looking at it thinking whoa like this is this is some serious scary stuff we have this um electric chair with the lightning going through it it you know it looks practically possessed and then uh, and not only that but we it, it was a time when it was difficult to get the lyrics to albums uh but so sometimes bands would put them in the liner notes and um so in the liner notes of the cassette they had the out the the um the uh the lyrics printed out and um so a song like for whom the bell tolls or trapped under ice we felt like we had unlocked exactly what it was that was causing this monster <laughs> and you know by the way of course of course in our uh childhood sensation we were like and he goes to high school you know a <laughs> freshman in high school with a metallica tape and we decided we figured out what makes him tick but um so that it was funny to me when you chose this album just because of that particular uh memory of of the actual album should we uh or do you have any other preconceived notions either about metallica um, or this this i this have album? just two other fun little things actually about the the cover art too um it was actually inspired from a stephen king book the stand oh really where a character was about to be um on the electric chair and then he said like i want to ride the lightning and then i think kirk hammett said 
like that'd be a good name for a song. And oh, that's cool. Here, I, here we have it. I, I think it was Kirk Hammett. Yeah, I believe it was Kirk Hammett's the one who is very much a like a horror movie buff and yeah. horror uh, aficionado. Like he hosts like a, a a horror festival and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and that, then go ahead. Yeah, and then the last thing is something that I wish I brought up. Um, that I wish I brought up last week because I think it harkens back to a time uh, when music when when you had to be different in order to promote your music, which is that. Um, on Spotify, none of the songs we played last week or that we're playing this week have an explicit tag on them, yeah, well, because that uh, and it's and they're phenomenal metal songs. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there's no bad language. Or yeah, anything like it's that. really, Absolutely, it's yeah. really, um, it, uh, like it just. I think it speaks to the um, the the uh, power of these bands that they can have such powerful lyrics and powerful everything, and then they, they don't need to rely on dirty words. Yeah, I'm trying to think. You know, um, it's interesting. That, I don't think Ozzy has any explicit lyrics in any of his songs. Although at his concerts, he's using the using the f word like nobody's business. It, it's almost disempowering to hear him say it because it's like you if you say it over and over again, it's no it longer yeah, yeah 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 exactly. Um, but then the interesting thing too with regard to Metallica is that if you listen to albums or not albums but live performances before like two thousand three, they um, there's all kinds of expletives. And um, since then, they've released every single show that they've done, you know, through the uh, live Metallica mix or whatever. And Hetfield um, does not curse at all in, on stage anymore. So it's just a funny sort because of, I, I even feel myself um, like chanting the, um, the the choruses that um, that I remember from live shows where like so it uh, you know well I'll, I'll get to it when we get to Creepy Death. Just re remind yes. me to hit it up when yes. Creepy Death comes along. Um, and so I guess I guess we should start out right away uh, with Fight Fire with Fire. Fight Fire with Fire. Here we go. So this song is, it's a great way to start, to start out an album. Um, it is very, so, uh, 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 so when I was doing my research, um, they uh, just the, and in the Rolling Stones article in particular, it mentioned about how, um, about how, uh, how Fight Fire with Fire is, its style is a little more um, classic metal than mm -hmm. say something like for whom the bell tolls mm -hmm. or um i think the other one was can i see that was classic metal probably uh, under ice. yes yes <laughs> yes yes. Right. yes um and it um it made me also realize after picking it that um that metallica songs that their construction when it comes to uh lyrics like like the emphasis on the lyrics is so different well you know like in, in the um you can really and truly enjoy every single song as an instrumental mm -hmm. like it's a really unique band in that way 
I absolutely agree. And I think that a lot of the lyrics, I'm pretty sure Hetfield is responsible for most of the lyrics. I think they, there's a lot of sharing of just songwriting period, but with regard to lyrics and uh, James Hetfield was uh, raised as a Christian scientist. And um, so you're going to see a lot of um, interestingly religiously informed lyrics, but yet anger with regard to that uh, religious information. And I, I think that it has, um, you know, it, it informs a lot of that rebellious um, attitude. Um, what I found most striking about this album is, first of all, like it almost lulls you into a false sense of security um, in terms of that that acoustic intro that begins almost you know, like a Maggie yes. May style acoustic intro. It happens a few times. It, it yes, it does. Yeah, well, call it Cthulhu or Cthulhu. Um, there's no H there, so I'm not exactly sure. I'm pretty sure it's well, Cthulhu, but we'll, we'll, go ahead. A fun, fun fact about the tell um, me your fun fact. Yeah, the point of the <laughs> this is just of the word Cthulhu in general. When H.P. Lovecraft wrote it, he it was supposed to be a word that no human can pronounce. So that's why it's ah, this weird, okay. like it doesn't, it doesn't make literate sense is because he didn't want it to. He wanted it to be this weird foreign alien word. Fascinating. Okay. Well, that, that's an awesome thing. And of course, since it's uh, an instrumental song, they never have to like, exactly. Sing the chorus yeah, exactly. But back to fight fire with fire. So we've got our Maggie Mae um, intro. And then, um, then we've got like this, blistering attack of power chords that um i was and when i first heard this it was an assault on my ears i i i didn't find anything musical about it and and i'm talking you know 25 years ago now of course i can i can hear the music in it but it, it just sounded like you know a machine that was just banging away and trying to be as fast as possible and even even to this day, I actually tried to play a little bit of it, and all the songs are very approachable. But the main the main riff to this, as the 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 first two riffs after the acoustic intro, are practically impossible because I, I even have one of the, a, a cheater app where I'm able to slow things down and even slow down at fifty percent. It's still and slow down at fifty percent and having the sheet music for, right in front of me. It's still very it's very challenging to even kind of piece together. Um, and so like, I just think that it's such a bold, bold move. And also let's, let's remember that this was during a time of, um, cassettes and, or records where if you were listening to the album, you were, this was the beginning. So you had to make it through this, this song in order to move on to the things that came after that. So, um, with that, and unless you have anything else to add about this particular song, I do not. Okay. Well then I guess it's time to ride the lightning. So this song, this song actually um, made me realize that the funny thing about this album when listening to it the first time through, which is that when you don't know the songs and you're looks, I also found out uh, I did not know any of these songs before uh, okay. before going into it, and I found out that if you don't know the songs distinctly, it can really sound like one. This whole album can sound like one long <laughs> one long song. <laughs> it really can. But then I started playing tracks individually, and I was like, oh, like, I can, like, oh, okay, yeah, now, and, and so, what, but then when I started playing tracks individually, I could then, when I was listening to it as one long piece, I could then piece out, okay, five fire, five standard, and now to ride the lightning. Right, right. And this one was, it's the, it's the title of the album, of course, and it's, 
it um, makes itself known. It is not my favorite of the album, but um, it's a solid, solid song. Interesting. Uh, yeah, um, it is. It is funny that you should say that because I, one of the first, um, uh, my first realizations about this this group and um, this music, particularly live, is you're right that they though they there is no chatting. There's no anything. They just bust into that that high um, singing little. Dun, 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 dun. I'm not going to hum for you, um, but you, you can check it out. Check out Spotify. Um, but but anyway, um, that it 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 almost feels like a transition that that opening riff, and um, I I love the chugging riff that follows it. Um, I think that the one of the things that I didn't mention with Fight Fire with Fire, and um, it's interesting that you mentioned they had a 2014, like 30, 30 year anniversary. I think they re-release these um, every once in a while, but I, I, I can't help but overall get the feeling that I wish that this album were remixed a little bit. I think it's... Um, uh, like I, a shuffle? No, no, no. In terms of the sound quality, I, I think that it could use a different production quality. It sounds like the 80s to me so kind of like how we were talking last week with ozzy how um how they reach how they when they redid the album they changed everything but hey that i can't the, remember they re-recorded randy rhodes randy, randy rhodes, rhodes how randy rhodes. rhodes is the only one who was not re-recorded because yeah yeah and i i don't even know you know i don't know enough enough about recording to say that it needs to be re-recorded so much as i i feel like there's a, a, i guess the the I don't know, quasi-musical term that I can use for this is it sounds a little muddy. And that might speak to the speed, again, with regard to, like, Fight Fire with Fire. Um, I, I, I don't exactly know what it is. But um, I also think that um, this particular song is pretty pretty much endemic of what what Metallica is, what you can expect. I think the guitar solo um, is, is thoughtful. And I think it's definitely approachable. It's pretty classic uh, Kirk Hammett uh, guitar solo stuff, yes. and I also like that this is that they get into the the harmonized leads. That at the end, when you hear them matching up with each other, that's one of the things that I think they 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 took from um, Judas Priest and um, Thin Lizzy, but that is definitely uh, consciously uh, dealt with here. So yeah, I, again, thumbs up for sure. So. Good job, Dave Mustaine. Good job. Yes. <laughs> um, so now we're going to see who the bell tolls for, or for whom the bell tolls. So this song, this song is a fun one. A fun fact about this song is that um, it was just to, um, I guess, go back to um, finding his name. One second. To if you give uh, me a clue, I bet I could tell you. Yeah, I bet you could. <laughs> um, James Hetfield. Oh James my Hetfield. goodness! Yes, yeah, I could have he, um, I would assume that he did some reading when he was young because mm -hmm. he was inspired directly by the Ernest Hemingway song. Or an Ernest Hemingway book for whom the bell tolls. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a phenomenal book, and it's a phenomenal song, um, inspired by the. It's such a good song. I think that this. So I agree with what you said previously about Ride the Lightning and Fight Fire with Fire. How maybe some updating could be used. Mm -hmm. I think this, and I think two other tracks on this album, I think are timeless. 
Uh, well, absolutely. And I, oh, I'm sorry. Do you have no, 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 oh, I don't know. Okay. No, I was going to say that that's absolutely true about the Ernest Hemingway thing. And I, th what, what you'll find also, as you look through, you know, uh, much of Metallica's catalog is there is a uh, significant anti-war sentiment. And I think that this is very, um, much in keeping with our conversation earlier about Ozzy, about there's this, this sense that, you know, it's chaos or anarchy. And then when you actually look at a lot of these lyrics that no, he's saying that, that war is chaos and anarchy. And, and it shouldn't that, happen. Yeah, it's something to be avoided at all costs. And um, I, I, it is interesting, I still do, I bring my guitar into class, um, uh, into class once a, a term to play for students. And this was actually a song that I had a student request that I play um first time ever um this this time through and so i um I, you know i was able to do the, the little chugging chromatic thing at the beginning and then which is you know deceptively simple this this song only has such a small amount of music for such a powerful song and so many bits that are actually really? hummable oh yeah yeah the 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 primary riff is just when i say chromatic it just moves one note at a time and it kind of chugs through one note at a time uh, for our listeners, we we've got the tablature in, in front of us. Yeah, I've so. I've only I've only had it for twenty five years, <laughs> um, and um, but the galloping riff that's the um, is the one that I was I was asked to play, and I could I could definitely play that, and it all stands out. And I think this one speaks to how powerful simplicity can be in songwriting. That this yes, it, it before having seen the music, it felt so epic and even you know seeing behind the curtain so to speak um it's still ridiculously epic but um just just a, a economy of notes economy of um chords just a really really strong song that i that i dig quite a bit and, and we move on now to and, oh go and go. i'm excited too to talk simplicity later on whenever we eventually cover acdc okay yeah, cover yeah. Simplicity, <laughs> at its, simplicity at its greatest right, right. like there's we will talk about yeah i just wanted to plug acdc <laughs> okay yeah, if, if those of you guys who've not heard of the band it's an up-and-coming band from australia and um you know check them out if you get a chance yeah. um anyway we are going to move on now to fade to black This, this song is so good. This song might be my favorite in the album. It is, it, it, it is pretty legendary. Um, this is another one that I think is just timeless. Hmm. Like that, I, it is so good. All right. Well, yes. Well, you know, you know what's funny is, and I'll I'll let you continue. But I was gonna say that when I talked about the acoustic intro to, um, fight fire with fire. And then the acoustic intro to, to intro to the call of Cthulhu, or however we want to pronounce it. Um, I wasn't thinking about, of course, the uh, acoustic intro to this, and um, it it makes me feel silly not to have mentioned it. But this this is a side ending track, 
And um, the guitar solo is one of the first guitar solos that I ever learned and memorized and was able to play note for note in a way that was uh, competent. And um, this has so many different parts to it that are so fulfilling to um, to actually play. And again, it's very, very approachable. Um, and I, I really credit this song for helping me to learn more about um, music construction. And um, once again, we've got the dual harmony leads um, when they come back in for the second solo. Um, the it, it, This one is... Um, is definitely about suicide and so we've got some more death going on here yeah um and i i would i would be very hard pressed to um find anyone who would suggest that this is advocating anything i think this is more just about the feelings of um sadness and desolation and um the, the guitar solo is is absolutely phenomenal this is one of the ones uh, well ride the lightning was one of the ones that is and for whom the bell tolls every single time for whom the bell tolls gets played most of the time ride the lightning gets played and most of the time fade to black gets played um at every single show sometimes they switch it off with a song called sanitarium from master puppets but pretty also, much yeah, 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 yeah. Just in case you, you ever heard of that, that one. Um, do you have anything else to say about this? Um, to, to the uh, 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 to the um, how often it's been played? It has been played eleven hundred times. Yeah, okay. It is one of nine Metallica songs that have been played over a thousand times, along with Master of Puppets, Creeping Death, Seek and Destroy, For Whom the Bell Tolls, One. Enter Sandman, Sad But True, and Nothing Else Matters. Okay, so like I already called out the room, the bell tolls, and, yep. but, but we're sitting on, we, we got to get to Creeping Death. We, we gotta, do. Okay. And then, um, last but not least, they played this song um, during the Montreal Olympics. That's and an uh, during those, during the, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then during those Olympics, uh, uh, James Hetfield suffered second and third degree burns from a pyrotechnic accident. Oh, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. The, uh, at the Olympics, are, are you sure? Because they're, okay. So my understanding is, and you can correct me because you're probably doing the research right now, that um, in 1991 or 1992, um, it was during a show that James Hetfield did get burned, get badly burned. In fact, they were doing a tour with um, Guns N' Roses. Is this a separate burning? Let's see. Okay. Let's <laughs> just look up how many times James Hetfield burned. You know, and how did you say that? I think there are at least two times, but I mean... It, I tried to defend it. How many ago. times has James Hetfield oh. been burned on stage? We're gonna see. We're gonna see what the Google will what, answer. What the internet has to say about this? Let's see. Uh, remember the night James Hetfield caught fire on stage? Right. Yeah, it might be different. <laughs> <laughs> there might be only one. Oh no, there's two. Okay, there's two. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, is, that is what happens when you have right. explosions on stage. Yeah, that is all right. Honestly, it doesn't get more metal than that. <laughs> Let's be honest here. All right. Okay. So now we have um, Trapped Under Ice. Once again, this is the one that um, that was clearly, uh, definitively uh, proof that my buddy's brother was a psychopath. Here we go. <laughs>
So this song is to to bring back to um, simplicity can be great. There to the song are pretty simple. Yeah, from what I could look up, <laughs> there's not really, there's not really, there's not really a lot to it. It's kind of like <laughs> it's like it's like an up, update 2.0 of like no bone movies. It's got better lyrics, <laughs> but it's similarly like oh I get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's here's an example. Freezing, freezing, can't move at all. Screaming, screaming, can't hear my call. I. I'm dying to live, cry out. I'm, in fact, trapped under ice. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, this song does... Now, now, this is also a song that comes back also to the, like... This song shines, I think, as a, as an instrumental. Like, as an in, this song is so good as an instrumental. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? It's almost like the singing parts, or the parts where the singing is, is, like, the time the the... They spent the least energy in coming up with something to do for that. And it might have to do with the fact that you have to sing and play at the same time. And but Which, yeah, these are wild songs. Yeah, sing and play at the same right, time. right, yeah. exactly. Uh, James Hetfield has reportedly one of the better wrists in music. In fact, an, another little guitar thing that he's known for is he um, picks deliberately using. Um, downstrokes always. So whereas most guitar players can play twice as fast because they're playing down, up, down, up, down, up, he is almost always going down. And um, so that makes it particularly challenging. It's it's interesting too because use that logic next time you tell me to improve my picking is look James Hetfield. Don't want to be like James Hetfield. Like the thing is is that he um um, it, you can see like stages or if you watch uh, tour footage that like early on, he's doing some, some up picking. And then as he gets more into shape, it's all, it's all down picking that goes on. But yeah, I, I think that the, um, the middle breakdown in this is just awesome. And again, I know everyone's desperate to hear me hum these riffs, but I'm afraid I, I will not be humming these riffs. Uh, strong song, kind of silly lyrics. Um, but but definitely awesome. I I do not think that this is one that I've that I've seen played live, um, though though it would be awesome. It, 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 the the nature I'll just very quickly say the nature a part of the reason why the Metallica thing I don't need to see them live again is generally speaking let's say there are twenty songs that they play, there are about twelve to fourteen that will be played at every show. The nine that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And the 12 to 14 that are played at every show, uh, then usually two new ones that may be among the 12 to 14 we'll see. And then there's usually some space fillers of like four different songs that you'll get from um, night to night. And that's where they plug in. Well, actually in the last tour, Hardwired was, was every single night because that was the album that they were presenting. Oh, yeah, it's 2016. Right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, so, so the uh, fight fire with fire and trapped under ice, those would be examples of ones that people would get really excited to see. And those would be the ones that I would be excited to see. Like I'm, I'm not going there to sing along to understand man and um, you know, bah humbug. No, <laughs> but, but I, the thing is, is, you know, some of my friends will uh, insist that this is example of my bah humbug type, type behavior, but I feel like I, I balance that out by my massive enthusiasm. If they were to break out call of Cthulhu, I would, you know, I would be, like more psyched than um, anyone gets about Enter Sandman because Enter Sandman is not a surprise. They will play it, you know, last. They will play um, Nothing Else Matters into Enter Sandman 
every single time that they've played in the last you know 25 years, except for, strangely enough, um, Thursday night, I guess they announced they played a, a 500-seat capacity theater in San Francisco called The Independent. They announced it at like three o'clock, said you can only buy tickets at the door, you know, first come, first serve. Um, tickets would cost $19.81 with a 19-cent service charge. So it would be it was $20 tickets on 500, on, in a 500-person capacity theater at The Independent. And they did not play Enter Sandman or Nothing Else Matters. Uh, I, I, shoot, I wish that I could is. remember. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. I, I, oh, they, but they did, they did close with Seek and Destroy. But, but I mean, I, how can you be disappointed with the Seek and Destroy? Uh, I know I'm, I'm not. That's, that's one that they play like every third show or something like this at this point. It used to be their, their consistent closer. But um, now, now we move on to Escape. This is probably the one that I'm most uh, interested in hearing your feedback about. Um, so here we go. So actually, before we do, I have a quick question for you. Is that, Have you heard them play this song live? I have not. In fact, okay. So, in fact, I think that this is the song. This is this may be one of the songs that's never been played live. Yes. Okay, okay, yeah. It has been played once live. Oh, uh, because they did the entire album, yes. right? Yes, okay. And um, I believe it was uh, Ulrich, Lan Lancer, Lar Lars, Lars Ulrich. Lars Ulrich, <laughs> okay. who... Um, <laughs> who who basically said that Metallica seems to have this massive problem with um a tuning, like the tuning of this song. Yeah, well, it's it's not it's the key is a yeah, the so, key so, of a. so it's yeah it's they not... have this it's this weird little curse key for them where always when they try to perform it live it just doesn't really work out how they want it to be. So this is just a song that they've just avoided at all costs playing live. That's so weird. You know, I'm going through my mind. I mean, what's it called? Uh, uh, Fade to Black is in A minor. So I'm sure, you know, obviously he's talking about A major. Um, but I, and I'm trying to think of a song that they have that is in A. And I, you're right. I, I, I cannot think of one. And, and like I said, A minor, um, again, not to go too deep into the jungle with this, but A minor is really like C major. And so they, they, there is a fundamental difference there. And uh, knowing what I think are all the Metallica songs. Yeah, I, I, I cannot place a, a song that's that's an A. Uh, so, but you, you you snuck your way out of giving me your opinion. Yes. Right? So, yes. So, so tell, tell me more. Um, tell me more. I don't feel strongly about this song in any. I really like this song. I think it's. I think it's a lot like. Um, what was the one for? Was it? Let me check. Blizzard of Oz, and I can tell you what. I think it's a lot like. Um, I'm intrigued now. I, was, I think it's a lot like, um, like a "Steal Away the Night," in that I really, really like it, but in in an album of absolute gold, some that you really, really like becomes okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. I I would not compare the two songs in terms of my my own. Uh, uh, response to them. I do think this, I don't, and I wish I were more musically inclined. Of course, if I were, I probably wouldn't be able to explain it, but there's something about this chorus that sounds so 80s to me. 
it sounds stylistically 80s yes. the way that it's recorded the way that it's the the um melody is kind of doubled by the guitar part yes um i um i i i dig it it sounds it's interesting because it sounds like it might have been something that they thought could have been a single except for the fact that it break it goes into that really slow breakdown where you know see them try to bring me down it's, it's a really slow sort of thing that all of a sudden then makes it not at all single uh worthy it's it's almost like um, they put two people in a room together and said, hey, come up with a pop song and then come up with some sort of really antagonistic metal song at the same time. Yes. And actually, um, no, no, it's the, ne the next song uh, 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 of the next song, um, Creeping Death. OK, so should we do a little Creeping Death? We should do a little Creeping Death. OK, here we go. This song, I don't recall reading whether it was a hit single or whether they wanted it to be a hit single. I think they wanted it to be um, one of their singles. Do you, do, I forgot to research this. Do you know which song in this album is, um, I guess, the single? I don't, I, frankly, I don't know that any of them got any radio play. I didn't know. I, 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 um, I, this, I wouldn't think of as a single. Um, it's definitely, like you said, it's in that list of nine songs that um they get played at every show it's also the one that i mentioned it's interesting because this is the most overtly religious of the tunes yes that um again there's a sense since it's called creeping death that it might be sort of ominous but it is the story of passover yeah. and um it's it is from the perspective of the angel of death but um it is it is most definitely like i said overtly religious to the extent that um it it require it that in order for this to have been written you know that james hatfield had some experience with organized religion um were you going to say anything else about this album either musically or anything like that um about this track no no i think i'm ready to move on to um is Call of, is Call of Cthulhu next? Uh, Call of Cthulhu is, but hey, 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 wait, hold on, just a second. I was just giving you giving you the reins for a minute. Uh, I was going to say, with regard to this one, this this is another one that is very very musically approachable. This is one where um, that it actually um, it's interesting that we were chosen these for the first two albums, but but this is another song that I remember playing when your mom used to play bass. Both this and Fade to Black were songs that we would play. And all, and I think it's partly because those parts are so compartmentalized that it was like, okay, now it goes to this part, now it goes to this part. And then you just learned the pieces. The, the pieces and then put it together like a puzzle. And that was definitely the case with Fade to Black and definitely the case with um, Mr. Crowley as well as this one. I think that once again, this is a solo that's very much approachable um, and humble. Yes, that that is something that I really, I just realized I've forgotten to mention this whole time. The solos are so good yeah. for every single song. Kirk Hammett and uh, Kirk Hammett just brings the thunder every single time. Well, I think part of the deal is he like Randy Rose. Well, I don't think he's nearly as original as Randy no. Rose is, but um, his his willingness to craft a guitar part is i think what sets him apart um i was reading something about the, they got the um 
Lord, uh, is it the 30th uh, anniversary of the Black Album? I think it is the yes, 30th anniversary yes, of the Black yes, Album. Yes. And they were talking about how The Unforgiven is the first time that he'd ever done a solo, like an improv solo off the cuff, that all these things are written and planned out ahead of time. And you can definitely hear that. This is prior to him getting guitar lessons from Joe Satriani, though. Um, and he did that because they're San Francisco folk. Um, and I want to say that it was during the Justice for All albums that he got those those lessons. And you can see him pick up his pace with the Justice for All um, album altogether, which I'm sure will come up at some point. But yes. my my thing about the bad language in concerts is there's a there's a part in this where um, it's it's the very end where he's talking about how he creeps across the land, die by my hand. I creep across the land, killing firstborn man, blah, blah, blah. And it's a big chant thing. And as it, when you're live, I mean, everybody's chanting, oh, yes. die, die, die. die. And um, the, it always used to be um, M, F, or die. So it's die, ch, die. M effort die and um, I I can't, I can't help it. I think it every single time that this song comes on, I'm chanting in my mind uh, the old the old F word. So thank you. That that's actually more thanks to Jason Newstead. He no longer plays with them, but because uh, he would be the one chanting while um, while Hetfield was singing. Yeah, singing I forgot, the there's part. another. I forgot which song. Um, there there's that was um, his last song performed live. I think it was. Yeah, Fade to Black was the last song that James Hetfield ever played alive with, with Metallica. I believe you're not talking about James Hetfield. I believe you're probably talking about Cliff Burton, who was the big, considering the, the fact that James Hetfield is still playing live with Metallica. Hmm. Cliff Burton is the bass He's player. He's the one who died. Cliff, but, but, he died in the tour bus accident. Correct. 25, 24. Uh, his age. Yes. Yes, yes. But they, they ended up recording Master Puppets with him as well. So it may very well be that Fade... But why would they encore with Fade to Black? I, I think you might be getting newer. I might be getting my my uh, my, my paths crossed or whatever. Because it may be, since I was talking about Creeping Death, it yeah. could be very well that he died from Creeping Death. But he was not the chanter, I don't believe. Jason Newstead is the one who I associate with the die, die, oh. die chant. The very sophisticated die chant. <laughs> um, so now it's it's call of whatever you want to call it. Here we go. So this is the the one instrumental in an album and from a band whose instrumental game is is up there for being like the best of the best at, at instrumental. Like I can honestly, after listening to this album and thinking of quite a few other Metallica songs, I can think of a few other bands that if you just took out the lyrics would still have such great songs. And Call of Cthulhu is really a great example of this and of the names always elude me of um and, and and also an example of dave mustaine's effect just on on music as a whole given that as i said earlier he wrote over 50 percent of this song yeah um it, it like i said I, I have a complicated opinion about dave mustaine i think this, this is this is a killer song it is um 
it's so perfect and i i think it's speak it it stands alone as a song um i believe i want to say i remember hearing it um before i knew the song and because remember I, i'd said that this is the last of the old metallica albums that i ended up getting and thinking man that would make a great metallica song and it's funny that it winds up being being metallica i, I feel the same way about um if we ever get to master puppets there's a song on there called orion and it's also an instrumental and it has all the pieces that you would hope for in a metallica song but you know uh, spoiler alert it, it is a metallica song and um so yeah, yeah, I, I think this is this is great. I would highly recommend it to to anybody. I feel like this is a to to get just to our summary of the the album as a whole. Um, I think this is really really a remarkable follow up to Blizzard of Oz in terms of an, yes. another another album that is um, phenomenal phenomenal and and you know with regard to bridging the gap we're, we, we will definitely be stretching out and i'm sure that you know we're not here to um, necessarily we're not do 80s and 90s rock and not necessarily only look at albums that are you know stellar perfect albums that there will be there, i'm sure there, there will, will be some, be some or yeah, yes but this this is definitely not one of those duds this um everything stands out i think it, it holds up as a cohesive piece and um my my only complaint is you know i wish i wish the production was a little bit different but also you know that's that's kind of why it is what it, i mean that's like complaining that um you know jaws doesn't have enough of enough of the shark in it or something like that that it it is a um a product of its time and um, it's it is amazing to me to think of the amount of money that was invested in this to record it and to write it and oh, yeah. to think that there was probably no real consideration for a commercial impact. Oh yeah, these guys. So actually, a funny story that I just remembered. Uh, these guys were living in Denmark because of um, and and uh, thanks to their drummer, they were able to live in Lars Ulrich. Yep. They were able to live there, and they actually had all of their amps stolen right before they left Boston. So mm. they went into Den. To, so they went in Denmark with. So, so 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 they went in Denmark. They had a few guitars and one amp. So they bought a few amps, and they had to. Um, I, it was either James Hetfield or Kirk Hammett who had um who had their amp tuned a particular way when they did Kill 'Em All, and so they had to spend the full first day in their new recording studio just tuning their amps to this crazy way that either Kirk Hammett or James Hetfield did for Kill 'Em All to kind mm -hmm. of recreate this special sound. Very interesting. Well, yeah, yeah, that's funny. I didn't realize it was recorded in Denmark. It does make the, the well trapped under ice. Yeah. Um, and kind of the sparsity of the album, it, it kind of makes a lot, it, a lot of sense to me that way. Um, and even the cover, although the cover is, um, it has the lightning and all that sort of thing. It does have kind of that icy look about it and kind of that sparse sort of barren yes. sense that I think of when I think of that sort of, um, European, um, Denmark sort of, a vibe going on. Yes. That is absolutely true. And um, so, so again, I, I say, you know, for those of you guys who haven't heard of this little known band called Metallica and this small album called Ride the Lightning, I, I say, I say thumbs up. And I, I think that I can wholeheartedly say so. And again, we got some agreement from you? Yes. Okay, well, it, um, it's time for us to um, quickly, I'm going to drop the, um, 
the album for next week. And I'll just say that this is another band that I have seen live. Um, I've, I've only seen them live twice, but um, I, it changed the first time that I saw them. It changed what I thought a band could do and what music could be like. I mean, that's, that is uh, no hyperbole in my mind. It absolutely and utterly blew my mind. And so we're going to be talking about uh, Rage Against the Machine's debut album entitled Rage Against the Machine. All right. All right, you guys have a good week. As always, thank you for listening to us at Bridging the Gap. Um, feel free to rate and review us at um, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to also email us at BTG, that's Bridging the Gap Podcast, 123 at gmail.com, or send us a tweet at BTG Podcast 123. If you're at all curious about what we've listened to in the past or what we're fixing to listen to, feel free to also follow the Bridging the Gap playlist on Spotify. With that being said, keep listening. We will too.